Today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, so we really don't have a good analog here to go back and look at. I mean, this is pretty historically wide when you're at 87% on, on sales, but only 36% on shipments. So, you know, it, it's, it's somewhat unprecedented. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Monday. Although I am not too happy today because the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl yesterday, but I'm also a Rob Gronkowski fan, so I guess that I'm happy for for the Buccaneers, but I was really rooting for the Chiefs. I certainly was as well, but I got to tell you, Ashton, that was probably one of the most boring Super Bowls I've watched in quite some time. Usually the Chiefs are a comeback team, so they might start out a little slow, but by second half, they usually get their act together. And they certainly did not do that yesterday. It was just kind of a blah Super Bowl overall. The ads weren't very great. The weekend halftime performance was mediocre, in my opinion, at least. I mean, I like their music, but I just thought it was okay. So that's kind of my take on the Super Bowl in a nutshell. I don't know about you. Yeah, I kind of agree. I have been seeing on social media, I'm a part of a couple Texas Tech alumni groups on Facebook, and people keep joking about how, you know, Chiefs fans are complaining about how Patrick Mahomes was performing super great and his team let him down. But uh, us at Texas Tech, we already kind of know that drill because he was a pretty big superstar here and uh, kind of outshined the rest of the team. So nothing new for, for me, I guess. Yep, same here, same here. But something new that is happening is tomorrow's WASD report, Ash, and I want to run through some uh, quick numbers and a take on this. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later on here with Ted Seifried, but there's a few key points I wanted to make sure I mentioned on today's podcast. If you don't mind if I quote-unquote take the mic for a second. Go ahead, Delaney. Well, tomorrow's report could be interesting. Uh, You never really know what the USDA is going to do, but ahead of that report, we saw corn futures creep to fresh seven-year highs this morning. They didn't close on those highs, but they did touch new highs. And really, a portion of this, Ted will talk a little bit more about it, so I don't want to steal his thunder, but we did see survey, analyst survey expectations for tomorrow's report indicated that domestic corn crop and soybean stockpiles here in the United States could be reduced by up to 10%. They also are suggesting that the USDA could downgrade South American crop production estimates. You know, probably not a huge amount, but uh, that is also weighing on the markets today. As Ted's going to talk a little bit about later on, you never really can predict what the USDA is going to say. We could see a quick reaction followed by, you know, either one way or the other, followed by some more calm trading after that. But, you know, most people aren't expecting this to be a huge market mover. But again, you can never really predict exactly what they're going to do, what they're going to say. So we'll keep we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Uh, as of tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time. We might send out a few tweets if there's something super exciting that happens, but kind of expected to be a neutral to bullish report, if anything. Well, Delaney, kicking things over, talking about the meat processing industry, an ag economist says that pork processing has mostly returned to normal helping add stability into the market. Of course, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw 
backlog of you know pork processing plants. But Steve Meyer with Partners for Production Agriculture says that processors were able to cut into the backlog of hogs with increased processing numbers for the past several months. Earlier this year, back in January, they even set a record for weekly slaughter, which was the highest number that they have ever slaughtered in the U.S. in, I can't, I don't know if it's a day or in a week, and I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but Meyer said the only state not at least 95% caught up with the backlog of hogs is North Carolina, and they will likely be back to 95% or higher by the end of March just shortly a year after the COVID-19 pandemic began. So seeing things get a little bit back to normal, at least for the pork industry. Yes, it certainly seems that way. It's also seeming to be a little uh, more normal for the dairy industry. According to the freshest data coming out from the USDA, Although the dairy industry had a turbulent 2020, they exported quite a bit more dairy product than usual. About 2.4 million metric tons of dairy product for the 2020 calendar year. And export volumes were up about 10% compared to 2019, according to the International Dairy Foods Association CEO and President Michael Dykes. So... Good news for dairy producers. Although, you know, I, I look at that piece of news and think how with exports much higher compared to the year prior, how did we still have to see dairy producers dump out milk products, so to speak? So I don't quite know how those figures all line up, but has been pretty supportive. We've seen that in the markets that prices have been pretty supportive. So hopefully we see that continue here into 2021. Well, Delaney, in the same vein, talking about exports, more U.S. imports are backlogging commodity export movements. A market analyst says that Americans are spending more money on stuff instead of services and experience because of staying home during the pandemic, and it's starting to affect commodity prices. Rather than going out to you know restaurants, the movies, um, going on trips or anything like that, people are spending money on on things. And I can definitely attest to this. Back at the beginning of the pandemic, I was doing a lot of online shopping, but I've had to tone that down because I'm starting to run out of money. But Nate Donnie with Stone X says that U.S. consumers have been buying 5 to 10% more stuff, and that's mostly imported over the last six months, which has driven up shipping costs and caused widespread logistical delays. And he was quoted as saying, about 75% of the containers, I believe, leaving the West Coast of the United States are going back empty now instead of the normal 50%. And that means less commodities are being shipped out of the U.S. and to Asia. Donnie also says the same delays are also happening in Europe and logistical issues could take a while to sort out. And he even expects it to be at least fall before consumers shift their disposal income back to service spending instead of goods. So just another, you know, effect that the COVID-19 pandemic is making on commodities, the markets, and really just the way that consumers are spending their money. And Chinese consumers are going to have to be spending more money to buy pork. Well, I should say domestic pork products. On Monday, we saw China's hog futures surge more than 4%, even as we are continuing to see them rebuild their hog herds there at rapid 
levels, rapid speeds, I should say. Uh, not really a big indication as to why we saw this surge happen, but I know that they've been having to dip into their stockpiles quite a bit. They've been having to work to um, get more imports in. So it's uh, been a pretty turbulent 2020 and 2021 for the Chinese consumer who really do value having a steady supply of pork. That's a big staple of their diet. Delaney, I'm glad you took things international because I want to talk about the protests that are continuing to go on in India. Indian farmers have drawn up plans to continue their protests during the harvest season from March by bringing in reinforcements from thousands of villages. And this was from a top union official stated earlier today. And they were quoted as saying, we have worked out detailed plans to ensure that our movement does not lose steam even during the next harvest season when farmers will gather their wheat and other winter crops. So we're still seeing these farmers, you know, pretty frustrated with the Indian government. And they're taking steps to, of course, like like they said, to, to, to not lose steam, especially during harvest season. So they're going to continue to do this until the government, you know, steps in and kind of does something about it. Yeah, and I do think that we will see some sort of government intervention for that, Ashton. So let's be sure we keep a close eye on that story. But I believe that's all the news, really, that I have for today. Um, other than the markets, Ashton, what do you say? Yeah, I'm all out as well, Delaney. Let's hop over to the markets. Fantastic. And ahead of tomorrow's WASD report here, we came off some fresh highs in the corn markets, but really green across the screen when you look at grains today. And hopefully we see those continue into tomorrow. But kicking things off here with the March corn contract up 15 and a quarter centicles at 563 and three quarters. The May up 14 and a half tickles at 562. In soybeans today, March contract up 21 cents to close at 13.87 and three quarters. The May up 20 and a quarter to close at 13.86. Chicago wheat higher on the day as well as the March contract added 14 and a half cents to close at 6.55 and three quarters. The May up 13 and three quarters to close at 6.59 and a half. Livestock had some mixed trade today as the April live cattle contract shot higher 17 and a half cents to close at 123.95. The June up just a nickel to close at 120.02. Feeder cattle lower today as the March contract shed 82 and a half cents to close at 137.45. The April down 72 and a half cents to close at 141.47. And in lean hogs strength today as the April contract added 35 cents to close at 80.65. The May up 35 as well to close at 84. 27 and a half and rounding things out today with the class three dairy milk futures march down 19 cents today to close at 1650 the april unchanged to close at 1712 without further ado let's kick it over to my conversation with ted seifred to chat markets for today Well, today we are joined by Ted Seifred of the Zaner Group. Ted, it's been a little while since we have had you on. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking, Tony. It's uh, pretty cold here, but other than that, you know, it's uh, Super Monday and you know, all is well. 
It is. It's very cold here as well in uh, Des Moines, and it's the day after the Super Bowl, so, you know, probably got a lot of people calling in sick today. But uh, the markets certainly haven't called in sick today. We saw corn and soybeans push to some fresh highs, I believe, on at least the corn side of things. We've got Wazir coming up tomorrow. Are markets anticipating a bullish report today? Is that why we're seeing things uh, spur higher? Yeah, you know, we really didn't see much of a change in South American weather over the weekend, at least not from the weather reporters or uh, the weather forecasters that I follow. So it wasn't really that. Um, we are concerned about the Brazilian soybean harvest going very slowly. That would mean the second season of corn crop is going to be getting in maybe a little bit late, which pushes them further into their sort of hot and dry season. Uh, so it kind of puts that, that crop at risk a little bit. So that is something that we are concerned about. And I think that's why corn was sort of leading the way there uh, here on Monday. But yes, very much, you know, we're looking at this USDA Watson report uh, here for Tuesday, and the trade expectations are really quite bearish. They're looking for about 150 million bushel drop in the corn carryover and about a 25 million bushel drop in the soybean carryover, pushing soybean carryovers uh, uh, ending stocks to some really very tight levels. So, yeah, anticipation of that had, uh, had a little bit of support underneath the market. And, you know, when I think about it, I really don't know what the USDA would or should do on this report for corn tomorrow. And the main reason I say that is because while we have seen export inspections really pretty good here the last couple of weeks, uh, today in particular, they're still really far behind on shipments. Uh, we are still really far behind on shipments, even though our sales are really very good. So if you just look at sales, you can make a very good case for the USDA to have to increase exports significantly. If you look at shipments, well, then that really calls that into question and maybe even makes you feel like we should lower that at some point. Uh, so it really depends on what they're focusing on and what they think our capacity is for shipping corn between now and the end of the marketing year. We're really going to have to push it to hit these bigger numbers. Uh, and, and for me, it makes me reluctant to add too much demand on that export number for this marketing year just simply because we've got a lot of work to do between now and, and the end of August. I'm glad you brought that up, Ted, because we've been watching a lot of export sales announcements come through, not a lot as far as shipping actually goes. When you look at USDA, what they've done in the past, is there any examples of situations like this and which way they've leaned on reports, whether or not they do increase demand or hold it steady, if not lower it? Yeah, so we really don't have a good analog here to go back and look at. I mean, this is pretty historically wide when you're at 87% on, on sales, but only 36% on shipments. So, you know, it's, it's somewhat unprecedented. We really don't know how the USA is going to deal with it. I think, look, what I would do, if it were me, uh, I would take a conservative approach, which is what the USA likes to do. I would increase exports by 50 million bushel, just to say, you know, to acknowledge that I'm paying attention and seeing that uh, these export sales are really very strong, and, and give the you know give us a chance to say okay we are going to ship these, but I would be very reluctant to raise exports by say 100 or 150 million bushel like I think many of the trade are, are hoping for or expecting to see, simply because I I don't know if we can do that sort of volume, and I would want to see a string of, of really solid weeks here on on export inspections to say, okay, those shipments are going to happen. We have capacity. It's going to, you know, we can hit these bigger numbers. We can maybe even hit 
you know, now we feel comfortable raising it 100 or 150 million bushel uh, as far as, you know, their estimate. I just, I, if, I, if I'm them, I, I'm not doing that quite yet. Now, they might take a much more aggressive approach. They might see these sales to China and say, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's much more than we were expecting to China. The rest of the world will continue to buy. And we can see, you know, exports, uh, shipments are going to happen. You know, we can see exports going up 150 million bushel. And we can see a carryover tighter than what I'm expecting or what the trade's expecting. It's certainly a possibility. That's just not where I would be right, right here, right now. Absolutely, Ted. I got you there. So ahead of this report, you know, I think the question always comes, at least I've seen a lot of guys on Twitter. I've talked to a few farmers that get a little antsy ahead of these reports, especially when they've got some paper sales on the board. They're always wondering, you know, should I sell ahead of this report? What if the report tanks the market? What would you advise folks do right now ahead of this report? Just sit tight and see what comes of it? Well, you know, Dwayne, that'd be really tailored to whoever I'm talking to. You know, I, I want to know where they're sold as far as, you know, what percentage of old crop they're sold. If you're upwards of 80% sold in old crop, I think you just kind of sit and wait this one out. So if you want to see carry some bushels into the growing season, uh, because, you know, usually we get concerned about some sort of weather and we get a nice little bump into, say, June or early July. Um, it's, and for new crop, you know, I want to see guys at least 40% sold at this point. I mean, look at the prices that we have, right? I mean, I know when you look at December corn trading 458 the quarter, it's not as as attractive as you know five sixty in the March, but it's still a really good price. And, and you know, you look at your bottom line, you're profitable. I think you need to make these sales, and there are ways of reordering the upside potential. But you, you also still have more bushels to sell. So if you're not done anything on on new crop corn, then in that case, I think either you do make some cash sales, or you know, you can come in and, and look at what I call you know report trades, where you've got shorter term options. In this case, you've got March. Uh, you got March options that go off on the 19th, so you know 11 trade days or not, uh, 11 calendar days. You can come in and own puts fairly cheaply. I mean, for example, a 550 put uh, going for around six cents, uh, or I'm sorry, about seven and a half cents. You know that that offers you some very nice protection, not too far away from the market, going into a report where you know who knows what the USDA is going to say. Yeah, that's the magic question, I suppose, is what are they going to say on t- tomorrow's report? But Ted, switching tracks here just a little bit. Let's talk soybeans a little bit more in depth. You know, you look at the March and the May compared to November new crop. There's still quite a bit of spread going on there. What are we going to see happen here? Are we going to see November hopefully come closer to that $13 mark? Or are we going to see futures end a little bit lower to make up for that difference? No, well, you know that I do think that gap will close over time, and how we do it is is a really good question. I think it could be a combination of two. Um, you know, at some point, if we get into planting and everything looks good, we could start to see the soybean market simmer down a little bit, and that that spread could kind of narrow in a little bit. But ultimately, you know, I, we really do have a very tight uh, balance sheet for for old crop, and that's what you're seeing reflected on the board. I mean, the tightness is really. It's an old crop situation. By the time it gets a new crop, the thought or the idea is that, you know, we'll grow more soybeans this year. We'll, we'll plant more acres. You know, hopefully we'll have decent weather and, and have a you know, 50 or 51 national average yield. And that should somewhat solve our problem for next year. However, you know, for as tight as we are, I think that November contract, there is going to be a lot of commercials that are needing to buy as soon as we get to harvest. So I think that November has upside mobility. I'd also say that I think corn has really done a... a, a pretty 
pretty stellar job here in the last month and a half uh, of making a, a, a bid for more acres. And at some point, that November contract in beans might want to try to fight back a little bit more than it has. So in my opinion, I'm probably most friendly on the November beans of anything on the board based on where the pricing is right now. I'm bullish beans, I'm bullish old crop beans because I realize the, the tight situation that we have, but that might not play out until, you know, uh, well, more so than it has. It might it might wait till later on, uh, late spring, early summer time frame when we really have that domestic crunch and we just can't find soybeans. Uh, but I think that November is, is undervalued at this point. I think there's more upside potential. I, I'm of the mindset that I think this demand stays. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a couple of years at least of, of this really strong Chinese demand. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to grow enough soybeans next year because like I said, you know, corn has really kind of made a bit to add some acres there too. Well, Ted, with that being said, where do you see the acreage battle going this year? Do you see more soybean acres, more corn acres pulling into wheat? Mm, yes. Yeah. So I think you're going to see more row crop acres as a whole. I think both corn and soybeans are in a position to gain. Uh, personally, I think you're going to see a combination of corn and soybean acres around the 82 to 84 million mark. So for me, that uh, how that breaks down is really going to be the question of you know what happens over the next few weeks. But currently, I'm kind of thinking like 93 million acres of corn, 91 million acres of soybeans, something in that neighborhood, which would be a dramatic jump uh, for soybean acres. But I think we need it, you know, and I think the market's realizing that. And I think you know, guys look at the prices of new crop. Uh, I'm sorry, look at the prices of, like old crop beans, you know, where May is not so much where the November is, and they see the potential for prices to get to these levels. And it's really attractive when you start talking about $14, $15 soybeans. Yeah, it certainly is. It's definitely enough to spark some interest from farmers to look at planting some soybean acres. But, Ted, walk me through here the live cattle market. They are back up to levels that we saw about a year ago. So we've kind of gotten through the COVID meltdown. Seems like we're back towards some profitable levels. But on the other hand, I talk to a lot of livestock farmers that are having trouble making ends meet, so to speak, you know, with these high corn prices that we're having. What's what's the end deal for uh, livestock farmers here? Yeah, feedstock, uh, yeah, <clears throat> feed is a problem, right? You know, corn prices are, are you know, continue to march higher. As you started off the segment saying, you know, new highs, fresh new highs for the contract. Um, yeah. And that's really what's weighing on the feeder cattle market. But the live cattle market looks really good. We see box beef prices have been really on fire the last four weeks or so. Domestic demand is good. Our export demand has actually picked up a little bit. And, you know, I think there's room for packers. Well, packers' margins, to me, look like there's room for higher cash trade. I think we will continue to see higher cash trade. And if I look at, like, an August feeder cattle chart, it looks very much, reminds me very much of what we were seeing in the grains back in, say, November. It's a very organized, uh, well-put-together rally. It, you know, it hasn't seen the crazy volatility that we started to see now in soybeans. It's just a, a mark higher. Uh, so that looks good. And to me, it looks like there's, there's quite a bit more potential there. So hopefully that helps offset some of the higher corn costs. But again, that corn really weighing on the feeder cattle market, and that might be a limiting factor for the cattle complex going forward. Fantastic. Well, Ted, before I let you go, if folks want to pick your brain a little bit more about the markets, how can they do so? Absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113, or you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. You can 
read a bit about us, and you can also sign up for our morning newsletter. Fantastic. Well, Ted, thanks again for joining the Chat Markets today. Thanks, Lane. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ted for joining us to talk markets today. And folks, you can also find Ted at the Ted Spread on Twitter. He's always tweeting and sharing great stuff there if you are on Twitter. If you are on Twitter and you're not following us, make sure you're also looking for at Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.